So we got Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 47 through the end of the chapter. Um, spent a year in Matthew. And I'm going to share with you guys, I'm not into resolutions a whole lot, uh, but one thing I do always look at in how can I do better or we do better is actually church. That's one of those things I'm always looking at because I don't know about you guys, um, time is short. <laughs> God has put a great emphasis upon the church, the importance of church. And if you guys study the scriptures well, you will see the primary purpose of church is for doctrine. It is for the equipping of the saints. That's the purpose of the church. So I'm always looking, how can I uh, teach better? How can I make sure I'm getting this right, that I can give it right? And one of the resolutions I'm making for myself this next year is let the word of God just speak not to speak to it as much as I like to do sometimes because we've taken a whole year and we've only gotten halfway through Matthew. <laughs> so we might go a little bit quicker this next year going through the gospel. But there is something about um, listening to the word of God being proclaimed. It is, it is good. I have a hard time when I'm listening to pastors who talk and talk and share stories and stories. I'm just like, bro, get back to the word. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to know. And, and we want to, we give place to that here at Freedom, but we even want to do so more so. So we're going to be doing a lot of cross-referencing. So if you have a Bible, awesome. I hope you're familiar with it. If you have a smartphone, you can open that up. I know a lot of you guys are doing that nowadays, but there's something, and I always encourage you, um, have a physical Bible. It is good for some reason. It just jumps off the page, um, his word. Anyways, we're going to get into the word. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning uh, at a couple more parables as Jesus wraps up a series of parables. Uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the dragnet this morning. But first, got to tell you about a politician who woke up after an operation. He found his curtains in his hospital room. They were closed. Why are the curtains closed? He asked the nurse, is it nighttime already? No, the nurse replied, but there's a fire across the street and we didn't want you to wake up and think that the operation was unsuccessful. So this parable <laughs> this morning set before us is very similar to that of what we looked at when we studied the parable of the wheat and the tares. Both show good and the bad side side by side it's giving contrast for you and i and then it is divided and isn't that what the word of god does jot on the top of your notes hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 the word of god is living and is powerful and is able to divide okay everything our spirit our soul what's really going on in our hearts the word of god is able to do that and that's what I've been loving about what Jesus has been laying down for you and I over the last few weeks with these parables. So both were explained by Jesus in the words, so it will be at the end of the age. So when we consider the good and the bad, and there's also similarities to the parable of the marriage feast, which we'll get in those, those with and without the wedding garments. We'll get there soon. But also the parable of the household, they had the separation of the good and the bad 
servants. We also see the parable of the ten virgins. Have you guys heard of that parable before? We'll be studying that. There's a separation of those wise virgins and the foolish virgins. The parable of the talents. Those that were separated, the ones that were profitable and the non-profitable in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Separate them too, the good and the bad. So Jesus is really making a point here, and we need to grasp what he is getting at. And this morning, we're going to look at a dragnet. Um, and in this parable, it's the seventh in a series of parables on the kingdom of heaven. And that is the primary focus that Matthew is speaking to in this gospel. It's all about the kingdom. Now, Jesus is giving us a course heading of the age in which we live, and he is trying to show us what is going on behind the scenes so we will have an understanding of what he is doing in the world. That's what I love about the kids learning about Jesus' mission over the next couple of months. We, God, he, he doesn't want to keep it secret. It's not a secret. He wants it to be known and known to the whole world. But the world isn't going to know unless we, the church, go and tell them. So Jesus has given us his word that we would understand these things. So regardless of how things may appear, the Lord Jesus here makes it very clear for you you and I, God's in control. Some of us question that. God, are you really in control? Jesus made it clear. No, he is in control, and God knows what he's doing. We don't need to question that. And if we do question it, it's good, because then he'll answer and show us, no, I know what I'm doing. It's all good. I read James Montgomery Boyce this week, and he said, a day of reckoning will come in which God will separate true believers from mere pretenders. I like how he put that. From the mere pretenders and those found to be false will be cast into hell. So let's take a read about the dragnet here of the good fish and the bad fish. Picking it up in verse 47 of Matthew chapter 13, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full... They drew to the shore, and they sat down, and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw the bad away. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and catch verse 50, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Really? Jesus, you're going to talk about hell? Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. There's a reason for it, so let us not miss it this morning. How many of you guys enjoyed Dr. Seuss growing up? How many of you guys still enjoy Dr. Seuss? Yeah, I love having kids. In the 60s, he wrote one of his books, uh, One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Yes, some are red and some are blue, some are old and some are new, some are sad and some are glad, and some are very, very bad. How many of you guys have read that one? Yeah! So why are they sad and glad and bad? I don't know. Go ask your dad. So let's ask our Heavenly Father this morning. God, we just want to pause for a moment and just together agree. We know your word is truth. Father, as James told us earlier, God, considering your word, it is spirit. It is life. 
And there are things that you want us to grasp, that you have revealed, that you have made known to us as your kids. And we don't want to miss it. We do have questions. So we're asking of you, Heavenly Father, to give us ears to hear, give us understanding this morning as we go through these parables. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, this parable describes the ingathering of righteous and wicked, okay, and their subsequent fates. So, the fishermen, they sorted these fish like reapers sorted the wheat and the weeds that we studied. How many fishermen we have in this room? A handful, fun. How many guys actually go out on the ice and dig holes and do in the middle of winter? Okay, a couple real men in the room. Awesome. So, and they're at church. That's how you know they're real men. They can skip their ice fishing and make Jesus a priority. So, um, the fish. Let's consider them for a moment. We're going to be going to Israel in just over a year from now. But there, on the north side of Galilee, where the Jordan's River, uh, River's Inlet is, is one of the best fishing areas in all of Israel. They have a couple dozen different sorts, um, uh, different species of fish there. So we're told here that there are bad fish and there are good fish. Okay, so in other words, the inedible, uh, inedible by uh, the law, the Jewish law of the day, you can eat these, you can't eat those. There's just some fish we don't eat, right? You guys know which ones I'm talking about? They may look really good on the outside. Oh, that's a cool looking fish. But man, you start skinning it, it's oily, what's going on, this doesn't seem like, and then you try to eat it, and it's just wrong. You guys know what I'm talking about? Ever have those fish? Yeah. But then there's good walleye and perch and other good fish. Although, if you live in Minnesota, you guys know that they think perch is yucky fish? What's wrong with those people? But they look like the Vikings, so... Of course. Anyways, um, <laughs> back to here. We're talking about the bad fish... In the wicked. Did they make the playoffs? I didn't think so. Okay. Um, are those people who are outwardly here to the church, but inwardly have no connection with Jesus? That's what he's talking to, or with the church. So they can fool some people. Okay? There are religious people. They can go through the motions. They can play church. They can do the religious thing. And they can fool some for a time, um, or others all the time. But Jesus... None of the time. You guys understand, he knows what's actually going on in our hearts. He actually knows what we believe and what our motives truly are. A guy by the name of Trench said this, the Lord never contemplated his visible church as a perfect communion, as there was a ham on the ark and a Judas among the twelve. So there would be a Babylon within the bosom of the church. I think he was spot on there. And we are told clearly by the Lord, there are going to be many that say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did. All this stuff. And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There are going to be people in the church that think they're okay, that they're saved. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again of the Spirit. And there are some larger denominations here in the Fox Valley that are a part of Christendom that don't want to deal. We don't talk about being born again here. That emphasis, 
why not? <laughs> Jesus says you have to be. <laughs> it's what matters. Do you actually know him personally? It's not about playing church. So let's get back to the text here. Let's consider a dragnet. How many of you guys know what a dragnet is? Okay. Here in the Midwest, we use pop-ups, you know, fly rides. If you're like me, you like a bobber, and you can actually see what the fish is doing. Um, but these guys, they had these huge nets in this dragnet. This is the only place we see this spoken of in all of Scripture. And as you look into the, what they would use, these nets were massive. They, they weren't so wide, six to eight feet wide, but they were 300 feet long. That's the length of a football field. That's huge net, right? So one end would be held up by corks and the other be weighed down. It was also called a long drawn net or a sweep net or a scion net. Um, it was very, a very popular analogy that we see brought forth in Scripture. Habakkuk, you guys can jot down chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to do it. It's all good in the Word of God. But he says this in verse 14 of chapter 1. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net, and they gather them in their drag net. In Ecclesiastes 9.12 for man also does not know his time like fish taken in a cruel net. So these fish are being taken in these drag nets. Locklayer said this, the net represents the proclamation and presentation of the gospel of, the re of redeeming grace. The wide sweeping, all-embracing net illustrates the wide reach of the effectual operation of the gospel whereby men are drawn into the profession of Christianity and into fellowship of the visible church. What? That's pretty cool. So God is gathering in. So he's gathering to what? We read here the shore. So as long as the net is in the water, it contains the bad and the good fish. There's all kinds in there. It cannot be otherwise. So on the shore, that's the place that separation takes place. Does that make sense? They bring them up. This is where we're going to separate. So the vessel, what is the vessel here? I'm glad you guys asked. Okay, it was the barns that we read of in verse 30. It's going to be the mansions in which we read of in chapter or John 14. And then the end gathered the good through Away the bad. So we read in the scriptures that our two are in the field. What happened, guys, to the two that were in the field? One taken and one was left. They would gather the wheat versus bind them in bundles and throw them into the fire. Enter my kingdom versus being cast in the furnace of fire. Sheep versus the goat. Wheat versus the tares. Good fish versus bad fish. Let's all turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Last Sunday, I got to go down to Great America with my family. We hung out with the Vandermosses, and yeah, it's fun doing a roller coaster in the middle of winter, but you know what was really cool? On the way out, a guy was holding a big old sign with a scripture on it, and guess what scripture was on it? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, so let's take a look at that, and my wife looks at me and says, that is like the coolest verse to put on a sign. Did you guys see it, Monica, when you guys were driving home? No, big guy. Yeah, I think that's so cool. Middle of winter, big old sign. And look what this verse says here. This is all his sign said. 
And just as each person is destined to die once, and after comes the judgment. That's all that was on his sign. You want to get to the point? If you had one sign <laughs> to tell the world what's going on, what they need to know, is this a pretty cool verse to put on there? You're going to live once and a judgment's coming. <laughs> you know? Think. Reason. You know, most people don't even think about that. They don't even care. And then look at verse 28 because the context is beautiful. So also Christ was once or was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again. That's our hope, guys. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly are waiting for him. I'm eagerly waiting for him. How about you guys? I can't wait. Amen. Wouldn't that be cool if it happened right now? Or right now? I mean, he said, hey, anytime soon, Lord, right? Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. So a guy by the name of Christendom spoke of the dragnet as being a terrible parable. Gregory the Great said of it that it was rather to be uh, tre uh, trembled at than expounded. <laughs> so it is one of those things. It's just you read this parable and you're like, yeah. Am I a good fish? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the question? Am I a good fish? Should we make it more than that? Am I right with God? See, how can you justify this kind of punishment? There's a lot of people that have just written hell off. I don't even want to believe in hell, a literal hell. Really, Rob Bell, sorry. Really? There's a lot of false teaching today going on in the church. And these people who don't believe in hell, they just need to read the Bible. Don't make it say something it doesn't say. There's a reason why God is so black and white and so clear about it. This is everlasting punishment, Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Hell is eternal condemnation, Mark 3.29. It's eternal judgment, Hebrews 6.2. It's everlasting destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. It's eternal fire, Gehenna, right? Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. It's unquenchable fire, the gospel of Mark chapter 9, verses 43 um, and on tell us. And it's eternal torment, Revelation 19.20. You say there's no hell. God says there is. Who's right? And if God is telling us this, why is he telling us this? Why is it important? It's because the sacrifice, guys, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, must have been so awesome, so priceless, so perfect, and so valuable that there must be a proper punishment that's fitting to it, guys. Do you get that? And if we don't understand hell, we're not going to appreciate the reality of the gospel. So let us not write off what God has declared. Hell is not some extreme act by holy, righteous God, okay? It is an exact, it's an accurate, it is a just reward for those refusing God. So let's also remember, saints, it is the Lord alone who pronounces doom. As fishermen, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, you can jot it down. Okay? I will make you fishers of men. 
Jesus said, so as fishermen, our offices are not judicial, but it is declarative. That is our job. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ and his salvation. We get to invite every kind to the cross. That's our job. So this is a day of grace when the lost can still be found. I love living right now, guys. I love it. So may you and I spread a net of salvation, a huge net, inviting all men to repent, all men to believe, and to leave him as the judge over all the earth, to separate the good from the bad at the time that's to be determined. That's his deal. And now let's look at our next parable, that of the householder in verse 51 and 52, back in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So he wasn't interested in any of this academic or theory, but the importance that they understood the teaching. That's what Jesus cared. Do you understand what's being said? How many people, I I try reading the Bible, I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. Well, that's the one thing Jesus wants us to get. And that's why we take seriously the word of God. We're going to study it verse by verse. We're not going to pick and choose what we think we ought to hear. We're going to go through the whole counsel of God. Didn't Paul declare that to the Ephesian elders? Man, I'm not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God to you guys. I'm hoping I'm able to do that if the Lord tarries. Love to get through the whole. We almost have here at Freedom Fellowship. So, we're going to go through, we're going to take the word of God seriously. So, he wants us to understand. I want to read... um, This in the New Living Translation says, Every teacher of the religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings forth from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Okay? And that's what we ought to be doing. I love the Old and New Testament. Okay? But to be honest, if I had to pick between one or the other, that would be really hard. But I'd have to say the Old Testament. It is so beautiful. Jesus is all over the place. And it's sad because the church at large doesn't even want to touch the Old Testament. It's beautiful, guys. And there is a place. It makes the new that much better. So we have a final parable here to remind us of our responsibilities. So we must be a scribe, a a lawyer, a teacher of the law who discovers the truth. Okay? Are you guys discovering truth? Are you studying to show yourselves approved to God? A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. Are you studying? Or, hey, pastor, that's why we pay you. (laughs) You study and you just tell us what we need to know. No, guys, we need to be in the word of God. Yes, what we're doing this morning is very, very important. You need to go back home, study the scriptures, and make sure that I'm not just leading y'all astray, but is this actually what God is saying? Is hell actually an important thing? 
Should we really take the time to even talk about these realities of really being born again, being a good fish or a bad fish? Absolutely. You see, the scribes began as a noble group under the leadership of Ezra. Their purpose was to preserve the law, the importance of it, to study it, and then apply the truths to daily life. It's not just knowing it, but we're to know God's word, to live God's word, to be doers of God's word. And we can't be doers of God's word unless we know the word of God. James 1.22. I want to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 8. Jot it down, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. It said, Then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law. What is that, guys? It's the Word of God, the Scriptures, okay? They read from the book of the law and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. And boy, did God use those people. Really? They just got together and the people listened to the Word of God being read and then they explained it to them? That's simply what they did? Yeah. And God did a mighty work through it. But we don't really want to hear the word. Because I want my best life now and I want my marriage fixed and my finance as well. That's what I want from you, pastor. You're not going to get it from this pastor. You can go to another church. Okay? We're going to do what the word of God has asked us to do. The word's important, guys. And you hear this over and over again and it's because it's important. You see, over the years, the degenerated, they degenerated into a routine task of preserving their traditions. People are good at that. We see it even within the Christian church. Aren't there a lot of traditions today? We can hold on to these traditions and man-made interpretations and adding burdens to the lives of the people. If you want to look into that a little more, go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 46 to 52, lay out that. You see, I love Warren Wiersbe. I think you guys know that. He said this, They merchandise dead doctrines and embalm traditions that could not help the people. And I see a lot of that going on today. Dead traditions, they don't help people. I don't know how many people told me through the years, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized as a baby. First of all, it's not biblical. Second of all, it's a tradition. That's just what we do in our family. We've always done it, and we're going to continue to do it because it pleases people. It's to people's hurt. It doesn't help anybody. I can live in my sin. I can do what I want. I'm all good to go. I don't care what the Bible says because I was baptized as a baby. Well, the Bible says that you need to believe and be baptized Okay? It's in the believing of Christ, believing that he is who he said he was, believing that he is a good king, that you are willing to put your faith and trust in him, giving him your allegiance. Yes, I'm going to follow you and stuff. And my first act in following you, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to be recognized with you and I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. It'd be great if babies got baptized and they followed Jesus the rest of their day, but hey, I know a lot of people, they ain't following Jesus, but they're okay because of a bad tradition. 
They've been lied to. Sorry, I'm going off on a rabbit trail. But do you guys get the point of what Jesus is getting to? This is where there's safety in the scriptures, guys. That's why we've got to keep coming back to the word of God. So we don't search after truth because we have it in God's Son. Right? John 14, 6. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. And we have it in God's Word. Well, I'm searching for the truth. I'm going to go to the Middle East and climb a mountain and stare at my belly for a while so I can connect and find out what life is really about. I'm going to take a little spiritual retreat, a spiritual walk to connect on the inside to find myself so I really know the truth. Sanctify them in truth. My word is truth, John 17, 17 says. So it is in the Son of God and in his word you find truth. And it's so sad that these truth seekers out there, they're not willing to go to the truth. They're willing to go anywhere but the truth. Satan is good at what he does, guys. And people don't come to the truth because they know they're going to be responsible. That's the problem. Once you know the truth, it's either going to set you free or you're going to live in a life of rebellion knowingly (laughs) against your maker. Sad place to be in. So we search into truth that we might discover more truth. That's why we love the scriptures. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a a stinker for truth. (laughs) I want truth. I remember one of the first things I did when I took on the chaplaincy years ago uh, for Fox Valley Jail Ministries is I wanted to go in. I didn't want to change things right away. I just wanted to go back, pray, observe what God was doing through the ministry. Um, but I had a hard time going into my office because as I walk in, we, we have a huge library, lending library of Christian books for inmates. And it's great. Give them Bibles. Give them Christian books so they can grow. But I walked in and literally there's hundreds of false teaching books by false teaching. It was just gross. I couldn't take it. I threw away hundreds of books. I'm like, junk, 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 junk. I'm just a stickler for truth. And it got to a point, guys, we changed all our studies, all our programs. It was done doing this and that program. We're just going to have Bible studies here. You guys know what happened in the jail? We went from six programs, studies, to over 20 Bible studies that were full. The Word of God. People are seeking truth. I wish there were more people in the church who are outside of incarceration (laughs) that were broken enough to actually start seeking God. I think jails are great. We give them Bibles. People are seeking truth. They want to be forgiven. They know they're sinners. But the government's not willing to give Bibles to our kids across the street. And they're just more so in need. Do you guys know that most people come to faith in Christ before they're 18? It's 90 plus percent. Get a small handful when they're a little bit older, maybe in jail. (laughs) What about these kids that are questioning life? Well, I was told at school that there's no God. God's dead. That we're just evolved monkeys. So we should behave like that. Anyways, sidetracked again. Why do you guys keep sidetracking me? Let's get back here. (laughs) So we should never stop learning. That's the point. If you're into truth, you're going to keep growing in truth. You're going to want more truth. So we must be disciples that do the truth. Instruction is important. So if you're instructed, 
that really equals being discipled. We have a discipleship course that we're doing with the men. We're in year two of a two-year thing. We just started the second part uh, yesterday. Phenomenal stuff. You take any course home, I guarantee you probably have 200 plus scriptures that you're asked to dive into in this discipleship course. You read anything that's come out of the church in the last decade and stuff, you get a little bitty book (laughs) with a few references here or there. No, it's the word of God. What does he think about this? How am I to respond to what he says? What is he asking of me? (laughs) What is my part? What is the truth in this? But the point is, guys, it's just not knowing it. Okay, the scribes emphasize the learning, but discipleship, being a disciple, that emphasized living. Okay, we're to live for Christ. We're not just to know about him. Amen? That's a big thing. So we must have that balance in our lives we need to know the word but we also need to be living the word of god so don't emphasize learning at the expense of living okay instruction god's word it's about experiencing jesus okay it's to know god that's the blessing of our quiet times of our devotions of our study of the scriptures even this morning i'm hoping your view of God is getting bigger. That's my prayer as I've been preparing. Because God is so much more than what we make him out to be. And he's revealed that. I love it. Some of you guys are getting to that age where you're going to be choosing, what am I going to do after I'm done with high school and I move on? And I've encouraged for decades now, I did youth ministry for 13 years, I always encourage the kids, go to Bible college for a year. Just go sit at the feet of Jesus. My wife and I got to go to Calvary Chapel Bible College. And one of the things I'm so thankful about that season in my life is this um, balance that the school struck with really embracing the learning of the scriptures. We're just going to learn the word of God, but we're also going to live the word of God. It's just not an academic thing where you're getting all this knowledge. But hey, we're going to go out and street witness. We're going to go on the mission field. You're going to get plugged into a local church in the area of the school here, and you're going to serve in the kids' ministry. And on campus, you're going to serve during the week. You're going to follow the example of your Lord and Savior. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity. And I'd encourage you guys, if you're young, take a year off. There is always college. There's always careers out there. Take time just to sit at the feet of Jesus to learn of him. And we don't need Bible college to do that, guys. Do you know that? We get to do that every day if we choose to do it. Are we going to seek him? And are we going to live the word of God? Are we going to really experience him every day? You see, every scribe must be a disciple and every disciple must be a scribe. Both are needed. So we must be stewards who dispense the truth, dispense the old, the new, New principles and insights based upon old truth. Also, some things have been set aside to ripen, and those uh, that steward uh, is to go uh, in, in a due season. Others are, are better fresh right now, okay? From the garden, and these serve up at once. So we are each responsible for using our own knowledge as food for all who are in our house. Now, I want to throw out a caution for you and I this morning. A new without the old is merely novelty and will not last. 
In the last days, we were told in Timothy that we're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If you want to do a little research, just go online, look at the best-selling Christian books over the last 30, 40 years. A lot of things have come and gone. A lot of books that you won't even recognize. It was hip. It was new. Our whole church did it. We're going to set aside the Word of God for a season because we need to go through this as a church. They've come and gone, guys. The Word of God continues to stand. So without the truth of God's Word, it's just novelty. And it's sad because that's what the church is into today. When is the newest book coming out by my, new, or my favorite author? I'm going to go to this conference and find out what the newest thing is for the church. You know, if you're going to hang here at Freedom with us, which I hope you do, we're family, we love each other, we take the gospel seriously, but we're not going to change much. If you're hoping our church is going to change, it's not going to change. We're going to keep doing the same thing we're doing, loving Jesus, loving each other, taking his word seriously. So, in answering the affirmative yes, guys, to the Lord, they became responsible for making the truth known to others. So new things and old things, the disciples were beginning to understand the new things Jesus was teaching them in conjunction with the traditions that are from the scriptures that they already knew. I'm excited to go through the festivals with you guys this next year at Freedom. We're going to go through all, well, seven of them. There's a bunch of them. We're going to go through the main, main ones uh, this year together, and we're going to see Jesus in the feasts. I'm pretty excited about that. So, let's wrap up this chapter quick. Look at verse 53 with me. Oh, wait. It's only 1040. I got 20 minutes. All right. Look at verse 53. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, so he went back home, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? Is it not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, uh, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Yeah, Mary had other children. She's not a virgin. And his sisters, and they not all with us. Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there. Catch it. It was because of their unbelief. Unbelief. I was at a prayer gathering one time and there was a brother I, I very much respect. He's got a larger church in Philadelphia. He had come in to facilitate our prayer summit. I was gathered with a bunch of different ministers from all over the state. And that week earlier, he had been diagnosed. He had gone into the doctor. He had kidney cancer. He had the papers on it. And as we were praying together, um, Someone received a word. If you don't believe in healing, you just don't believe that God could do this or wants to do this, we're just politely asking you to leave the room. Just leave. A few guys got up, and then another word was received that our brother had been healed. 
that God did it. The word was, we need to stop praying now. God's done it. We had a follow-up with the doctor a couple weeks later, and we received an email back. Doctor doesn't know what happened. This is impossible. And I think, guys, there is that reality. I've seen healings. I've seen God do the miraculous. But as it says here, why isn't God doing more? Guys, we see more things happen down at the pantry than we do here at the church. And I've often asked the question, why don't we see more things happen? Why aren't there more prayers? I think we're too familiar with Jesus at times. I think there's an unbelief. Well, I know God is able. I know he could. But I don't know if I believe he's really gonna or wants to. I think a good prayer for each and every one of us. I don't care how mature in Christ you may be. Lord, help my unbelief. That's a prayer I just randomly throw out there every once in a while. There's just seasons in life, things you go through, things you gotta go do that you don't wanna do. <laughs> Lord, help my unbelief. Please, help my unbelief. I believe, I know Jesus is who he said he is. I'm born again of the Spirit of God. I know that, but I still doubt. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we do have doubts. But that's where we look back. Man, God's been faithful. <laughs> Even when I'm faithless, he's still faithful on my behalf. I'm his kid. <laughs> he's been good. He is working things out for the good. Even though it doesn't make sense, I know he's in control. And I know he's faithful to his promises. Lord, help my unbelief. <laughs> so, back to what it's saying here, this rejection. He says, I'll never pass this way again, <laughs> never to return. You guys remember early in his ministry, he was rejected here? You guys remember in Nazareth there, that cliff incident <laughs> with Jesus? They wanted to do away with him. Now he was rejected again. So two things amazed them. Did you guys catch what amazed them? It was his word and his works. Those were the two things. Their problem they were too familiar with him in his humanity. As a human. Isn't this Joe's boy? We know Mary. We know his brothers and sisters. Okay? They were familiar with him. So it was a case of knowing him after the flesh. You can jot down 2 Corinthians 5.16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So his pedigree, guys, seemed to be to them in the lowest form. He's just the carpenter's boy. He's had no formal training. We know him. You guys know his brothers didn't even believe he was the Messiah at this point. Well, he got saved after the resurrection, which is cool. But anyways, verse 54, it says, where did this man get his wisdom? Don't you love that statement? Where did this man get this wisdom? Where did he get it? I sat down with a pastor one time. Uh, he knows I love prophecy, Israel, eschatology. And he was doing, uh, doing a topical study on some end time stuff. And he had some questions about Revelation. And we had a great conversation just reasoning the scriptures. And he asked where I went to seminary. I didn't go to seminary. How do you know these things? I've walked with Jesus. I sit at his feet. I read his word. Guys, that's what God wants from us. Where did this man get his wisdom? 
Well, of course, we know Jesus is God. <laughs> That's where he got the wisdom from. You know? So the people, they knew that. Unlike their rabbis, Jesus has no formal training. He was raised just as a craftsman. But they express astonishment and apparently educated things he says and attesting signs he performs. You know, then they flip flop. Look at verse 57. They get angry at him, right? You know, and it's cool. This, this saying 57 here, uh, it's found in the Jewish, Greek, and Roman writings, it's all over the place. But the unbelief I want to hit on for a minute that we see in verse 58 here is the only thing that will drive Jesus away from you. Do you guys know that? Unbelief is the only thing that's going to land you in hell. Does God send people to hell? Yeah. But it's your choice to go there. Okay? Unless you're a Calvinist. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. This one has a little star. This one has a little car. Say, what a lot of fish there are. How many people in the world, guys? Over 6 billion, 7 billion. We don't know. I haven't had time to go out and count them all. But anyways, there's a lot of people. One question. Does God love them all or not? Okay. A lot of fish out there. So what fish are you? I think that's a question we have to ask as we conclude this morning. Got to make it personal, right? What kind of fish are you? Kept fish or a thrown away fish? Another question. How is eternity in hell a fair punishment for sin? I think we got to come back around to that, don't we? How is that fair? I'm glad you guys asked because I'm going to give you the answer. Um, I think it's because people have an incomplete understanding of who God is. I think that's the problem. There's three things when it comes to understanding. We, all, we first of all need to know the nature of God. Very important to understand the nature of God. Also, the nature of man and the importance of understanding the nature of sin. If we have an understanding of those three things, you're going to understand why hell is there and why God justly, rightly punishes people. You see, we tend to see God as a kind, a merciful being who loves us and overrides and overshadows you know, all of his other attributes. But we can't do that, guys. God is God. And if we make him lesser than he truly is, we're in trouble. Is God loving and merciful? Absolutely, okay? Of course he's loving. Of course he's kind. Of course he's merciful. He's revealed those things to us. But he is first and foremost holy. Holy, 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 okay? He is a righteous God, foremost and above all things. We need to know that, understand that. That is what he's declared to you and I in his word. So holy is he that he cannot tolerate sin. If we don't understand his holiness, we're not going to understand the nature of sin. He is a God whose anger burns against the wicked, against the disobedient. He hates all manner of sin. 41 million babies being killed in murder is not okay. A speaker of the house, the first thing they do is, hey, we're going to fund abortions worldwide. Not okay, guys. It is wrong. It is sin. We need to call sin 
Sin. What God calls sin. He's the author. You guys remember King David? I'll get there in a second. Let's go back to here. We, I want you guys to understand this, okay? He hates all manner of sin. And while he is merciful, there is a limit to his mercy. Humanity, guys, has been corrupted by sin. We live in a fallen world. Okay? There is a curse because of sin. And that sin is always directed against who? Against God. So when David sinned in committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having Uriah, her husband, killed, murdered, okay, I love how he responded in prayer. And we find it in Psalm 41, verse 4. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. You guys understand that we only sin against God. So David understood that all sin is ultimately against God. So since God is an internal, or eternal, an infinite being, as a result, all, res- all sins require eternal punishment. God's holy. He is perfect. An infinite character um, has been offended by our sin. So although to our finite minds, our sin is limited to time, okay, or in time here, to God who is outside of time, the sin that he hates goes on and on. Our sin is eternally before him and must be eternally punished in order to satisfy his holy judgment. So no one understands this better than someone who's been to hell. Do you guys remember in Luke 16, there was a rich man and there was Lazarus. Both died. The rich man went to hell and Lazarus to paradise. And interestingly, guys, he never says, how did I end up here? Did you guys read that in the scriptures? Did the guy ask, how did I end up in hell? How did I get here? What did I do wrong? I was better than my neighbor. Yeah, we're better than someone else. There's 7 billion people on the planet. You better be better than somebody else. But again, compared to what? Our neighbor or compared to a holy, just God? You see, guys, the question never was asked when he was in hell. He does not say, did I really deserve this? Don't you think this is a little extreme? A little unfair? A little over the top? He only asked for someone to go to his brothers that are still alive and warn them against his fate. Go tell them! I'm getting what I deserve! This is, hell is what we deserve, guys. Read the scriptures. That's what we deserve. That's why God is so rich in mercy. You guys understand that? That's why he took everything of himself. He laid down everything. His whole, every, his life for you and I. So the realities of eternal damnation, eternal hell, eternal punishment are frightening and they're disturbing. Well, this may sound grim. Guys, you know what? There's good news. This is what makes the gospel so sweet. God does love us and he wants us to be saved from hell. He wants all to be saved from hell. But because God is also just and righteous, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. That wouldn't be fair. I spent a lot of time in jail, spent a lot of time in courtrooms. 
And there were people that I was in court with who had murdered somebody, who had molested a child. And if the judge would have said, yep, you're free to go. Yeah, lots of people do that stuff. I would have been pissed. I don't know about you guys, I would have been pissed. I would have been, judge, you suck. How did you get there? You have no right to be in that place of authority. You suck. Guys, get it? God doesn't judge sin. He'd be that type of judge. Wouldn't be a very good one. But he is perfect. And he's perfectly right. So for sin to go unpunished, it can't. Someone has to pay for it. So in his great mercy and love, God provided his own payment, his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the penalty of our sins by dying on the cross for you and I. So Jesus' death was an infinite death because he is an infinite God-man, paying for our infinite sin debt so that we would not have to pay for hell for eternity. Now, if you look at the top of your paper, guys, our memory verse for the week is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him, speaking of Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great switcheroo, okay? God takes our punishment upon himself. He pays our debt. He dies. We deserve death. He did that for us. And we get to receive his righteousness, his standing, his perfection. Yeah, that's the only way it could have been done. That's the only way that makes sense. He alone is Savior. Only God can save. So, if we confess our sin and we place our faith in Christ, asking God's forgiveness based on Christ's sacrifice, we are saved, forgiven, cleansed, and we are promised eternal home with him forever and ever and ever. That is what he's promised. That is the truth of his word. So God loved us so much that he provided the means for our salvation, but if we reject his gift of eternal life, we will face the eternal consequences of that decision. So let's stand to our feet. We'll close in prayer. I don't know about you guys, but I think Jesus was pretty crystal clear for us this morning. It's one thing I so appreciate about his word. He's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to confuse us. He's laid out things very clearly for all, for all. And the problem is this good news that has been laid out in the scriptures, most of the world has no clue about it. They have no clue. That's where we come in, guys. We get to share this good news with the world. And there are a lot of people, if they're honest, they know they're not right with their maker. They know they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've talked with so many who live with that guilt, that shame, living in condemnation. And there is nothing better, guys, than sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with somebody, seeing them set free by putting their faith in him. He's a great, we got a good God. He's just and fair, but he is good. And praise God for his mercy, not getting what we <laughs> deserve. We deserve hell. And I thank, thank him often for his mercy and for his grace, guys the gift of eternal life. That is a gift. And the second you believe in him, guys, that's when eternal life starts. 
It's not when, oh, when I die here, I get to go to heaven. No, if you are born again in the Spirit of God, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, truly have, you've turned to him, you repent of your sins, you really, I'm, I believe, <laughs> I'm in, I'm following you. That's when you're born again. That's when eternal life starts. Enjoy life with Jesus, guys. Walk with him. It's the only thing that matters. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Um, it's just been really good to go through these parables with you over the last few weeks. And we want to pray that your word uh, would be received well uh, with a moldable heart. We want to, we want to place um, all of our lives into your hands. God, that you may do whatever you want to do. We know there's a lot, of, a lot of people in this world that just continue to rebel. Father, they're running from you. and um, It just doesn't make sense, especially when they hear the goodness of who you are, when they hear the gospel. It's so good. You are so good. You are so giving, so patient and kind. Father, we pray that you would, uh, just with the truth of the gospel, Father, embolden us to speak it, to speak your word, the truth, that we would be those that are sticklers for truth, that we'd want to learn more and more and be grounded in it, that we'd be able to share with others, as you told us in your word, we're to allow your word to dwell richly within us and it effectively works in those who believe. I pray that we'd take that serious, that we'd find ourselves uh, reading and studying more and more than we ever have before and encouraging one another to do the same and sharing with one another what we're learning and what we're seeing and just experiencing as we're doing life and walking with you and living for you, God. There's nothing like it. And we thank you, Father, for how you changed lives. God, we know we can't change ourselves, so we're looking to you this new year, this day. God, have your way. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much that you are holy, that you are perfect, that your judgments are perfect. God, shine, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen.